Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Uh, And so last week we began a series called Defining Marks, where we introduced those, uh, talked a little bit about how these marks will inform our ministry, uh, how what place they'll have uh, in our church, Uh, and want to kind of shortly recap that, uh, which is to say that these marks are not meant to be comprehensive descriptions of everything that we do as a church, uh, nor they intended to communicate a fully formed strategic plan, Uh, but rather these three marks or statements are meant to communicate what we believe uh, make us unique as a church, uh, particularly in the evangelical space. Uh, And so they communicate our uh, identity as a church, they communicate our values, uh, and because they uh, articulate our core identity and our values, they also help shape our ministry, the things that we do, uh, the ideas for ministry and ministry initiatives that we have. And so last week, what we talked about is the ministry funnel and how churches all have some filter or funnel that they run ideas through uh, in order to help them decide how to implement an idea uh, and, and what that idea will look like. And the defining marks help us do just that. Uh, so if this kind of stuff interests you, uh, you can listen to last week's podcast uh, or you can go to a blog section of our website where we have an article kind of explaining all of that. And uh, last week... Um, Uh, During the message, I had a couple zingers that are sure to make you laugh or cringe, probably both. Uh, And if you were here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I would just say this, uh, preaching is hard. Um, So if you're like, how in the world could he ever say that? Uh, It's because sometimes your notes break, like mine right now. This is the first time ever I've had the iPad like kind of hiccup on me. So... I'm, I'm uh, creating space to allow for that. Um, but, and, and also kind of up here wondering, like, what am I going to do? Uh, but I would just say, like, oh, don't die. Just, like, nothing works now. This is awful. Oh. Um, oh. But, nope, no. Do I want my computer? No. I, I think, I think I can do this completely off the cuff if I need to. So, okay, so, uh, so anyway, I would just say, like, preaching is hard. When you're up here and it's like, how in the world could he have said that? It's just because sometimes you just, stuff flies out of your mouth and you're like, man, I wish I really would have thought about that first. So, uh, so that's, that's all I'm asking is for, like, grace. That's all. Um, and, and so, uh, but what we want to do today is I want to talk about the second mark, um, and because and, we spent time last week unpacking the first mark and, and just want to like move on uh, and talk about the second mark uh, as it relates to our life and ministry uh, as a church. And I think it'll be uh, really important for us to do that. So let's, uh, let's show the defining mark. And we should have it up on the screens. <gasps> There's life. Yes. Okay, good. Okay, here's, a, here's the second defining mark. Uh, we shape our worship to retell the story of Jesus. Uh, As a community, we follow the seasons of the Christian calendar, like Advent, Lent, Eastertide, Pentecost, and others. Uh, And each week, our worship consists of celebration, confession, assurance of forgiveness, the preached word, and communion. And we believe these patterns are forming us into the likeness of Jesus, that these patterns that we follow are formative uh, in our lives. Um, The second mark is all about that as a church, we are trying to tell a story. 
but not just any story. Like, in particular, we are trying to tell the Christian story. And we're doing that uh, not just by sharing more information, but we're, we're actually doing that by inviting you into the story. Uh, and we do that on what I like to call a macro level, that is a big picture level, and then a micro level. So on the macro level, we follow the seasons of the Christian calendar. And on a micro level, we have this, uh, this pattern of worship that we follow each week that helps us retell the story uh, every single week as well. And so I want to spend some time unpacking this, uh, but I also want to admit to you out loud that this, that this series in particular is a little bit unique from our normal patterns and rhythms. Uh, that is to say that uh, typically I would have a series that has a scripture that I am unpacking that, and trying to bring a meaning out of, uh, but because we're spending three weeks just talking about our identity as a church, uh, that we may not have like a core scripture that we're just looking at and unpacking. Uh, now, there, I can tell you that as a preacher, there's a real temptation to take each defining mark and to show that it's biblical, uh, attach a like token scripture to it. Uh, but can I just say that, that I don't think that's honest. I don't think it's honest to the defining mark. And I don't think it's honest to the scripture. Uh, that, that kind of just proof texting one verse on top of something it just, just feels dishonest to me. So, so I don't have like a core text uh, uh, this week or next, but rather we're just kind of describing the life of the church together. Uh, that being said, though, I believe that these are deeply and firmly biblical, right? So like these practice, but, it, but it's, it's just it's dishonest to just attach one verse to it. Uh, does that make sense? Some of you are like, and some of you are like, yay, and that's okay. Um, so that, that's just where we're at. Um, so the first, so the first thing is, uh, the first question is, well, why would we do these things? Uh, in particular, like, why would we follow the rhythms of the Christian calendar? Uh, and, and I would say this: uh, the first reason is because rhythms matter. Uh, rhythms matter. Every living thing follows a the a rhythm of life. So every, if you have life in you, you are you are governed by some kind of pattern or rhythm of your life. You can look at nature and see this. Uh, plants have times of bloom and then they go dormant. The tide goes in and out. We don't know much about that because we're pretty landlocked here. Uh, but the tide comes in and out. The earth travels around the sun and governs the seasons. Those seasons then govern our own patterns and habits. Uh, and so every living thing follows rhythms and has a way of organizing our life in time. Now, the reason we have to organize our life in time is because time is this thing that is always going. Time is the most mundane thing there is. It is always ticking at the same exact pace. And we would lose track of time if we didn't organize our lives around rhythms and patterns in some way. And you can actually find out how critical and essential rhythms and patterns are. Uh, when you see the scene, it's classic movie scene. They're either thrown in prison or a cave or they're a castaway or something. And they have no way of marking the time, so they scratch lines on the wall as a way of just marking the time, organizing the time. Okay, so time, because time is just this thing that stretches and is never ending and never stops, we find rhythms and patterns by which to organize our life. And that, that, that is, the same thing is true uh, for the church. The church is a living thing. Would you agree? I hope so, right? The church is a living thing. And so the church organizes uh, itself around rhythms. The question is, what rhythms are we following or organizing our lives around? 
Now, I would submit to you that many evangelical churches take their rhythmic cues from the national calendar. Uh, that is to say, if you were like to look at the rhythm and the pattern and the life of, of this church, uh, many churches, you would see that uh, the big Sundays, the big emphasis are on July 4th or maybe Memorial Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, those kinds of things, right? Thanksgiving, Veterans Day, Martin Luther King Day, Christmas without Advent, uh, Easter without Lent. And so for a lot of evangelical churches, they've, they've chosen to kind of organize their rhythmic life around the national calendar. Uh, but the thing that we need to realize is this, that time tells a story, Time tells a story. And so when we look at like what story is being told when, when the primary emphasis of our gathered life together is July 4th and Thanksgiving and Memorial Day and Mother's Day and those kinds of things, what we recognize, and maybe we just need to admit this out loud, and I, I promise I'm not trying to be too, um, too offensive here, but, but like what we need to recognize is that the story we're telling is the story of a nation, uh, that we are rehe- when, we, when these holidays have the primary space in our gathered life together, what we're doing is we are rehearsing the American story. Now compare that then to the story that the Christian calendar tells. Uh, and and the, the, the Christian calendar begins with Advent, uh, which is the anticipation of the Messiah. Uh, and then it ends with Pentecost, before it goes into like the big bulk of the year, which is called ordinary time, but it ends with Pentecost, which is the birth of the church. And so you begin with anticipation of the Messiah. You go to Christmas, the birth of the Messiah, Christmas tide, which is celebration that the Messiah has finally come. And then, the, then you go into Ash Wednesday and Lent, which is, oh man, did we need this guy, right? Like we recognize that we need a savior, a rescuer. And then we go into Easter and we celebrate new resurrection life. We have been rescued by this Messiah. And then Easter goes all the way to to Pentecost and Ascension Sunday, which is the formation of a people. And then all, all during ordinary time, those people are then sent on mission to go and proclaim the good news. And so when you look at the Christian calendar and say, what story is that telling? We recognize it's telling, it's telling the distinctly Christian story. And what we need to, the question that we need to ask is, is as a church body, what story do we want to tell? Because time always tells a story. How we mark time tells a story. And, and what I want to, what I want to, I want to even build on that even further to say that time just doesn't tell a story, but stories shape us as people. That the stories that we organize our lives around, the narratives that we tell, are actually have, have formative power in our lives. Uh, in, in fact, there's uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I was uh, at, a, at a meeting where Leonard Sweet was speaking. I don't know if you've ever heard of Leonard Sweet. He's a well-known author and speaker. And he had this quote, and I don't, I don't actually remember the source of the quote, so I can't source it for you today, but I do remember the quote because it stuck with me. And the quote is this, I cannot answer the question, what am I to do, until I've answered the previous question of what story am I a part in other words, the, the narratives that drive our lives help to inform our action and, and they shape us as a people. 
And so what I would want to say is what we need to realize as a church is just kind of come to the realization that the story that we tell through our gathered life together is not neutral, but rather the story that we're telling actually shapes us. Now, am I saying that we can't or shouldn't also recognize some of the, uh, the national things? I'm, saying, I'm not saying that. Like today is Father's Day. We said happy Father's Day. We recognize that there are different narratives surrounding Father's Day. But in the end, what gains emphasis is not those primary things for us. Does this make sense? Because the way we mark time shapes us as a people. And I, I just want to like kind of say that out loud. Okay? <laughs> and th- this is actually deeply biblical. Uh, because throughout the Old Testament, in particular, uh, God tells the Jewish people to remember the festivals and to participate in the practices surrounding those festivals. Uh, and the reason is because uh, it, practicing and remembering those festivals forms a corporate identity for those people and helps shape their corporate life together. And so over and over and over again in the Old Testament, you'll hear God instruct his people, remember the Passover when you, were, when you were rescued out of Egypt. And it's actually into that context, around those festivals, that Jesus comes as the final rescuer, right? And so it's like, as, as God was encouraging his people to enter into the Jewish story, Christ enters into that and says, I'm going to fulfill all that was going on there and, 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 into, and, and be the fulfillment to, as a trajectory forward, and I'm going to form a new people called the church. But it's all surrounding these patterns and these rhythms. And, I, and so he told them to rehearse their story, rehearse their story, because doing so formed them as a people. Uh, listen, we, we don't have any idea how this is possible because we live in a right now culture. Uh, but in Advent, as we, what Advent is all about is us joining ancient Israel in the anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. Now, obviously, we can look back at the first advent, the first coming, but we also are waiting for the second coming, the coming of Messiah, for him to come and complete his work of rescue, uh, to bring his kingdom fully to come and to bear on earth as it is in heaven. And so we join ancient Israel in waiting. But what we don't realize is that we wait four weeks. (laughs) Ancient Israel waited over 400 years. 400 years of rehearsing the story and telling the story and and anticipating a Messiah. So imagine parents telling their kids, a Messiah is coming, a rescuer is coming. Those kids live their entire life, grow up. He still hasn't come. But they say to their kids, a Messiah is coming. And then they grow up and nothing has happened. They say to their kids, generation after generation after generation. And the only way that's possible is They had structures and rhythms and patterns to rehearse the story. And it helped form them as a people. Time tells a story. Stories shape us as a people. And so sometimes people will ask me, um, hey, how do you guys uh, at Emmaus Road do discipleship? Uh, And I'll tell them about uh, these fantastic sermons 
that are timed just right, perfectly organized, uh, how the crowd is so positively responsive, and that they're all just taking notes. And then after I tell them about that, I tell them about how we have life groups and these awesome life group hosts and how we have this discussion guide based on that awesome sermon uh, and, and how it's just like this great thing. But then I'll say, we follow the Christian calendar. Like, how do you do discipleship? Uh, in other words, what I want to say is we don't do like the microwave discipleship of a raised hand. We do the crockpot discipleship of following the rhythms of the Christian calendar. Because time tells a story and stories shape our hearts. In other words, when we enter into these seasons, we're invited to enter into the story of God. And uh, I've come to see the value. Now, the problem is, is that oftentimes when it comes to discipleship, we see discipleship as uh, the gaining of more or new information. And a lot of times uh, we think discipleship is purely that, like all the time. We can live our entire lives uh, trying to dump more Christian information into our Christian buckets called our heads. And then we say, oh, I've been, I've, I'm, I'm discipled because I have more information. The problem is that information can, often never makes its way to our hearts. It's not actually forming us in any way. We're just, it's a, it's a purely intellectual exercise. And what I, what I would want to say is that discipleship is much more visceral than that. Like, like discipleship is, is, yes, head knowledge, and we should be learning. But also, like, discipleship is a gut level kind of thing, too. Uh, and so we're, we're being formed and shaped as we recognize and as we enter into uh, these rhythms of the Christian calendar. So the first thing is that rhythms matter. The second reason that we, that we really follow the kind of macro level uh, Christian calendar is because it helps us develop a robust language or expression of faith. It helps us develop a robust language or expression of faith. How many of you, and I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you grew up uh, with an understanding of faith, that faith, living a life of faith is, is meant that you are living life in a constant state of elation? Uh, that is to say that in order to be faithful, you must be happy, confident, certain, problem-free, and have all the answers to the questions, right? This is the kind of faith that I grew up with. I don't know about you. But I understood that to be faithful was to have all the answers. That to be faithful was to be confident and certain of what I believed, right? So when someone said, you need to have more faith, I understood that as being, you need to be more certain. And there were times in my life in the midst of pain and struggle and difficulty that I couldn't muster up any more certainty. I just couldn't do it. And I thought that I wasn't being faithful. And also, I, I really grew up in an environment where it was like to be faithful and to have faith meant you had all the answers. So if someone was going through a difficulty, you could just give them your little one-line quip, your little Christian, like, and then you could like give them a bumper sticker that said that or a refrigerator magnet or like a pencil with an eraser. You know, it's just like, hey, here's a thing, and this is going to solve all your problems. It was like if you had easy answers, then that was how you measured the level of faithfulness. But I, what I've found to be true, not only in my own life, but as I've pastored people, is that this simply is not sustainable. 
This, this idea of faith as certainty, this idea of faith as being always confident or happy or problem-free or having all the answers is not sustainable, particularly in the face of struggle or pain. Because also as a pastor, I have seen people being formed in that version of faithfulness and then they go through a very stark difficulty in their life. Like, and I want to be sensitive here on the Father's Day, but maybe a season of infertility or a miscarriage and, and things come crashing down like in the, in the world that was so neatly and cleanly organized and to which I had every answer no longer works. But what I've seen happen as a pastor is that when that, in, when that happens, people don't have a language of faith to engage with the struggle. You with me? They have not been formed in such a way that they know how to have faithfulness and language of faith in the midst of pain. And so I would say that we must learn expressions of faith that allow space for lament and doubt and struggle and uncertainty. Because guess what? These are all things in life. <laughs> Welcome to life. And I suppose it is possible for you, for, for people to go through their entire life and never doubt God, but I, I don't know what that's personally like. <laughs> I think most people come to a season of intense doubt. And if, we, if we've equaled faith to certainty, then we've said, oh, you can't have those doubts and still be faithful. And I would say, no. Having doubts, continuing to engage with God, holding on to anchors is actually what it means to be faithful. And so each season in the Christian calendar has an accompanying mood. And when we talk and we walk through the year and allow that mood to be expressed, what we are embodying is a faith, what faith looks like in different seasons of our life, right? And so it's like when, when there's violence that comes up in our culture and, and the, whole, the whole world, perhaps for certainly our whole nation, is, is reeling from an act of violence. And, and then um, I, said, I shared this in a workshop this weekend. We were at District Assembly and I shared this in a workshop. Uh, I, I said, if, if, if we have acts of violence in our country and the country is, is reeling in pain when it happens during the week, and then three days later they go to church and nothing is said, and we sing songs of celebration and resurrection and praise and all of that, then young people will write the church off as irrelevant because we're not speaking into the pain. And oftentimes we don't have language for that. We don't, we don't know how to, right? So we have to know as a, as a community how to lament. And guess what? There is a great gift that God has given to us in the early church. 40 days called Lent that helps us learn how to lament. I don't know if this is resonating with you or not, but I have found it to be deeply meaningful in my own life and practice and, and encourage us to, to begin entering into these rhythms as, as we've been doing. As I said last week, I hope that these defining marks are nothing new, but rather an articulation of what we've been doing. And what I want to share in this sermon series is the value that I see behind them and kind of unpack that a little bit more. But those accompanying moods in those different seasons gives us language and expression of faith uh, that, that for, through the different seasons of our life. Therefore, we do have a more robust well from which to draw when it comes to those things. Because sometimes being faithful looks like lamenting. Sometimes faith looks like waiting and wondering. Sometimes faith is being unsure. Okay? 
Can I hear you? Can I set some people free today? Right? Sometimes faith is being unsure. And that's okay. And I believe that following the Christian calendar, at least in some small way, helps us develop an expression of faith that allows us to have faith through all of life's ups and downs, through all of life's disappointments, through failures, through joys, through victories, so that we have language when everything goes right. Yeah, that's easy. But we also have language when everything goes horribly wrong. And the Psalms help us with that as well. And so... um, I want to quickly just walk through these. Advent is a season of anticipation and longing and patience, uh, uncertainty. Will the Messiah come, right? If we're joining ancient Israel uh, in waiting for 400 years, can you imagine that there were some kids who were like, Mom and Dad, I don't think you know what you're talking about. He ain't coming. Right? Right? There's, there's a level of uncertainty in the waiting. And so that's the same as true. Like, we look at the world we gather around the table in hope of, of, of what is to come. But man, we look at the world and, and like there's space for like, I don't know if this is going to turn out all right. You know, uh, that's what Advent's all about. Lent is recognition of needs, sinfulness, lament, confession. Uh, usually Christians uh, aren't very good at confession, um, but we want to corporately confess and reach out to God or recogn- and recognize our need for him. Easter and Eastertide is a celebration of new life and resurrection, life that has come from death. It's a 50-day season, which is longer than the 40-day season of Lent, because in the economy of God, the feast always outlasts the fast. You've heard me say that a hundred times. You'll hear me say it a hundred times more, right? Uh, and then Pentecost, solidarity with, is, gives us a great opportunity to have solidarity with believers across time and space to focus on the church, the capital C church. And I want to say this, Pentecost with its focus on the birth of the church, the capital C church, is a great time to celebrate your tribe. We are part of a denomination. We have a rich history. We are proud of that. So we are part of a tribe, but we are not going to be tribal. Does that make sense? So we, we, we recognize, embrace, and love our tradition, but we won't pretend like we got the corner on everything. We won't pretend like there's not a church out there that's bigger than us. And we won't pretend that, 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 uh, that we're the only game in town, right? We just kind of, we, we belong to a tribe, but we aren't tribal. I hope that makes sense. Um, you guys are quiet today. Did you get enough sleep? Uh, and then ordinary time, or what we around here call kingdom time, which is the church on mission. Uh, it's a time for struggling through and wrestling with what it means to be the people of God in today's world. Uh, that Christ is, uh, Christ has the day. But, but the other part is that like the ordinary time is God meets us in the mundane. God meets us in the ordinary. Uh, the, the, in the ordinary moments of life, God can show up and change a life, and that's a good thing. So follow, we follow these rhythms year after year. It gives us a more robust language and expression of faith. So rhythms matter. Time tells a story. Stories shape us. And then following these, these rhythms gives us a robust language. Does that make sense? And so you, you all are like, we're on board because we've been doing this for years, right? That's good news. Okay, let me, let me quickly talk about the micro-rhythm. The microrhythm is this, that for centuries, the church, the capital C church, has felt that the weekly rhythm of worship should include five key pieces, right? Um, that is, call to worship, a recognition of need or confession, assurance of forgiveness, word and table, that is, 
sermon and communion, and then benediction or sending or dismissal. <laughs> like the part that where you're like, yes, Olive Garden breadsticks, I'm on my way, right? So, but these five things. Now imagine the pressure of a pastor or a team of leaders if we had to make up how to worship every single week, week after week. Think of the resources that would require. Uh, and a lot of churches try to take that on. And I would just say, let's draw not from the wisdom of the people that are in the building and right here, right now, but let's draw on the well of wisdom from our brothers and sisters that have gone on before us and just adopt a five-fold pattern where we, where we live into the same thing and we can use our own resources on how to creatively express but those same movements in worship. Are you with me? So you may or may not notice this. Sometimes it's more subtle than others, but every single week it's these five things. And we value this pattern of worship uh, because it also tells the gospel story. That is, so we're telling the gospel story on a macro level as we walk through the year and then we're telling the gospel story on a micro level each week that you gather for worship here. It tells the gospel story in short, form each and every week. So we are called together as the people of God to worship and hear from God. The, the calling centers us on the purpose of our gathering and the direction of our worship, that we have come to hear from God, we have come to worship Him. And then having recognized uh, that what we are gathered for, we also recognize our need for Him. We recognize that both through our action and our inaction, that we have frustrated shalom, that is peace, wholeness, that there are things that we have done and things that we've not done that have frustrated shalom in the world, that have frustrated human flourishing, that have broken relationships. And we just admit that out loud. We recognize that, but we continue to seek and to learn and be moved and to act as the people of God in order to bring shalom to the world. Confession is both a commitment and an agreement with God, an agreement with God that I haven't done this exactly perfectly, but I am committed to keep doing my very doggone best right? And during Lent, we often pray the classic prayer of confession. Most merciful God, I confess, or if we say it corporately, we confess. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done, by what we have left undone. For we have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, would you have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. That's a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. And then having confessed, we are assured of our forgiveness, the goodness of God and his forgiveness, that he is a loving and patient God willing to work with us to bring about his peace. And then having been assured of forgiveness, we hear the word of God proclaimed. And listen to me, the word of God is Christ. When we hear that, do not think about the Bible. Think about Jesus Christ. The words of God perfectly and infallibly point us to the living and active word of God who is Jesus Christ. And so, we can, so what we do on Sunday mornings is we proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ. Now we use the scriptures, the Holy Scriptures to do that. Because they do a great job in pointing us to Christ. But sometimes we can talk all about the Bible and miss Jesus, <laughs> right? We're not going to do that. We're going to proclaim Christ. Having been assured of his forgiveness, we be the word of God. That is, Jesus is proclaimed. We proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We gather around his table and remembering his death and resurrection. And it is there at the table where he meets us right where we're at. 
We take in his very life. He nourishes our spirit. And having been called together, having recognized our need for Christ, been assured of his forgiveness, heard, the, heard Christ proclaimed, gathered around his table, we are then sent out as kingdom ambassadors into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our families. What I want you to hear, I know this is a lot of stuff. Some of you are like, I just like to come to church and kind of experience what's there. (laughs) And if that's you, that's great. But what I want you to hear this morning is there is a purpose behind what we do and why we do it. That what I want you to hear is that the life of this church is not just drawing on all of my best ideas or Daniel's best ideas or Grace's best ideas. But rather, we are putting our best ideas into a rich, historic well of wisdom. And we're just adding our little bit. Because the church has been worshiping this way, macro, micro, for centuries. And it forms us as a people of God. I don't want to be too provocative here. I I promise I'm not trying to be provocative. But what I want to do and make sure is that I want to make sure that as a church, we are primarily telling the story of Christ. Because I'm interested in us being formed as the people of God. I'm not that interested in forming religious Americans. Okay, and I I don't mean that to be too provocative, but rather to just say, like, what do we want to be about as a church through the stories that we tell and the story that we tell through our shared life together. And and if you could hear my pastoral heart, I want to be formed and shaped as the people of God. And, and, And there are causes and times to celebrate our national heritage, yes, but primarily I want to be formed and shaped as the people of God through the telling of the Christian story. So, as I've already mentioned, This past weekend at our Nazarene District Assembly, I had the privilege of sharing some of these concepts with members of the Nazarene District Assembly. Um, I was encouraged by the response. Um, Because I believe that there's tremendous value in this. And following the Christian calendar isn't just a Catholic thing. (laughs) Receiving communion every week, that's not just a Catholic thing. But these are Christian things that help form us as the people of God. Um, I, I know that um, sometimes when we practice things as a community, we just kind of get caught up in the, the rhythms and the practices together. And we often don't, but, but, but when the pastor then shares, but this is how, why we're doing it, that may raise additional questions that just the practice itself didn't. Um, and I would just want to make myself available if there are any questions Uh, about some of the stuff that I've said today. Um, I want to make myself available to answer those questions. Um, And so I invite you to contact me uh, via email or text or call or whatever. Uh, I would love to meet with you and just talk more uh, about some of these ideas and these things. But the key idea is that these rhythms help us rehearse and enter into the story of Christ. And in so doing, we are formed as the people of God. And the participation in the life of the church year each week and throughout the year helps us to grow and to mature in our faith. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, Well, let me lead us to the Lord's table today.
through this liturgy. And then uh, after we've done so, uh, myself and Rick, will, our communion servers, will find our way along the side aisles here. And then you can form a line down the side aisles. Uh, as you come to the front, we'll present the elements to you by saying, this is the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Uh, if you'd like, you can respond with the traditional response of thanks be to God. Uh, if you need, need it, uh, gluten-free elements uh, along with a small cup for dipping are located in the middle of each tray. And then after that, our ushers will come by and we'll receive God's tithe and our offering. We encourage you to give generously and obediently to the work that God is doing uh, through this local church. Uh, So let me lead us uh, to the Lord's table today. God, in your infinite love, you have made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal son, to share our human nature, to live and to die as one of us, and to, in order that we might be reconciled to you, the God and Father of all. Jesus Christ stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do it, do so in remembrance of me. And so recalling now his death and suffering and celebrating his resurrection and ascension, we await his coming in glory, and the restoration of all things. So let us come to the table with glad hearts, and may the Lord meet us there.